0: chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas podcast (laughs) Um, my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it hello and welcome back to another episode of the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee up there in new york city John Taylor of Fangraphs.com. I would
1: love to track how, like, how my pronunciation for that has been going and whether or not it's steady. Because I I feel like it can't be steady.
0: I think it's steady. Okay. I think it's pretty good. I think you got it down.
1: Okay. That's good, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It's, I've been, of course, I've been practicing. So there's Mm -hmm.
0: that. You got like a Wendy's, uh, a Wendy's uh, Simpson shirt. Yeah. Scanners. There you go. Where'd you get that? Toronto
1: in a random thrift shop one of the happiest finds of my entire life.
0: That feels like a Toronto find. Yes. Canada yes. I feel like is big in the, in big into the Simpsons. I feel like it, the Simpsons spoke to a lot of Canadians.
1: Yeah, I think because of the gentle poking of fun we did right. at their expense constantly. They're like, like uh, well, you know, shucks, that's all right. I don't know. I don't sound Canadian at all there. That was
0: good. I like that bit. Okay. <laughs> I'm going
1: to I'm going to bring that one back, but with a little more work done on it so that your Canadian listeners don't think that I think that they're all like Essentially, I don't know of one giant Minnesota because I, I know Canada is not a giant Minnesota. It's a, mm.
0: it's
1: more like a giant. It's more like a giant Massachusetts in a lot of ways. Interesting. I've never uh, been. Uh, but yeah, I uh, my apologies to your Canadian listeners and to your new sponsor, the Government of Canada and its Tourism Initiative. Mm. Come on down to Canada, eh? Okay, now I'm just doing it just to be just to be difficult. But
0: anyway, out of the country, our biggest listeners are Italy and Ireland. We have a big Ireland.
1: Really? In, well, that's yeah. that's fun cuz I'm going to Italy uh the day after we record this podcast. Really? So let me know where the Chase Thomas podcast fan group meets up in Italy and I will go make a surprise appearance.
0: Are you really going to Italy tomorrow?
1: Yeah, going to Florence, going to Bologna. My my girlfriend's going there for a work conference, so we're turning it into a little pre-conference vacation and then i'm just gonna chill for a few days in italy
0: have you been before
1: yeah but not for a long time my parents we went we went on a family trip when i was like i don't know nine or ten that's the last time so it's been a minute that's exciting yeah it's gonna be fun
0: are you gonna have the um white lotus theme just playing as yes, you're walking around
1: absolutely just nailed into my head i mm-hmm. plan on getting into all kinds of comic scrapes and mix-ups mm-hmm. so if a week and a half from now you hear about my uh wait i know i don't want to i don't want to spoil you the show you can't spoil now. it no well if suffice to say if you hear about something involving a yacht mm-hmm. uh in sicily <laughs> and some misappropriated money I'm, mm-hmm. I'm at the heart of that so i just want to make sure everyone is aware of
0: that what a great show
1: what a great show
0: it's so good mike white just out here late career just a renaissance putting together one of yeah, the most real, enjoyable programs real
1: justin verlander hours with
0: yes me. and then successions back for its final season next month what an exciting righteous gemstones time. is back very soon what, which what is an
1: exciting time for prestige tv
0: i just want righteous gemstones back because i still i don't think i laugh harder at any show in the last like decade it's either that or curb but I okay. think it's probably Righteous Gemstones. Because, like, peak Righteous Gemstones, like, Uncle Baby Billy is the funniest television character, I think, of my lifetime. A very and underrated actor, class. Walton Goggins. He's so good. And he leans all the way in to that character. Yeah. Just shameless all the way shameless. in. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just thinking about scenes with Uncle Billy. It just makes me happy. I want to rewatch it um john taylor as yes. much as we could talk about just prestige hbo max uh cinema here on this program we can we, talk we really could team.
1: that's a, that's a, the fun thing
0: we really could um last week we had nick stellini fill in for you he did a great job over hey. there at cbs sports um so shout out to nick italian stellini there you go there you go um the consistency there uh, and my yeah. wife and i were doing sopranos or midway through season three she's never seen it before it's
1: it's all italy right now it's it all is
0: italy. i want to do the gif of like or the meme of like inarticulate italian noises we got to that scene that in season three do you know what i'm talking about where st tony's celebrating when aj uh gets the fumble yeah uh, and he's like oh and they make the set like the caption is inarticulate italian noises and they they pulled up on that scene and i, I like freaked out and my wife was like what are you doing and i'm like it's the meme and it's i'm like I-, I was the guy i was you, leo dicaprio you turned into another meme I was yeah. doing it. <laughs> i'm like i'm so watched but i got so excited because i'm like I-, I know that meme I- it's-, it's happening in real time I-, I know that
1: that was me we're, we're so online poisoned
0: we're so online john just so it's online really good um well john we have some other things that involve being online which is manny machado we found out yes. uh, signed a mega extension um with the san diego padres it's funny like we j- were just talking um two weeks ago like what's what's it gonna look like with manny like where he goes maybe it feels like new york is inevitable for him mm-hmm. um whether it be the yankees or the mets but you're like, you're probably not going to pay Machado. Like, this is it. Like, you got Soto coming up. You have, like, let's see what happens with Tatis, uh, Darvish. Snell you just go up and down the list where it's like, it, it just felt like Machado was not going to be a part of the long-term commitments for mm-hmm. San Diego. And A.J. Preller is like, nope. We're staying with this thing. We're not going to tear this thing down. This is not just a two-to-three, four-year blip. And then mm-hmm. we're doing what we did all over again, starting over and creating the best farm in baseball while uh, not being a great team for another five to seven years. This feels more sustainable, and they're operating just like a juggernaut franchise. And it, it really caught me by surprise, the number, the years for Machado. Not that I disagree with them, because Manny Machado is an excellent baseball player, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think this, if you're a Padres fan, this is an underrated big deal because I think it signals to the fan base soto's not going anywhere um, machado's not going anywhere we are not just trying to win it all this year and then if we don't blow in this thing up no this is like we want a sustainable like decade run with this thing if we can do it mm-hmm. w- what do you think
1: so I, I agree with you that the overall message here is that this is not a uh, win or sorry a go for broke one year thing on the Padres mm-hmm. part and i think You know, when we saw the U-Darvish extension, that made it pretty clear that there were designs for the Padres to keep this going past this year. Machado obviously furthers that. I'm not sure that this necessarily opens the Padres' window up all that far because, I mean, it's worth noting in all of this. As we noted with Darvish, who will be 42 when that deal finishes (laughs) its entirety, the six-year extension. Uh, 2033, Machado's final season under this contract, he will be 40. Uh, he was already He's already 30 this year. This is not a guy who, uh, sorry, he'll be turning 31 this year at some point. This is not a guy who's there the, the Padres are necessarily building around long-term. This is just them keeping him on the books for what they believe, I think, is going to be the big competitive contention window for them, which is to say between 2023 and 2026. And the reason I say that is when you look at Machado's contract and you look at the base salary, he's going to be making, you add a base salary and signing bonus, 17 just over 17 million dollars between now and 2025 each year so that's uh, basically a 3 year 51 million dollar contract for him for the next 3 years then his salary jumps up to 25 million in 2026 and then every year after that it's 39 million with a base salary of 35 million mm-hmm. so on the one hand, that's insane. They're going to be the Padres are set to pay Manny Machado at minimum 105, 140, 175, 210 million dollars from ages 34 through 40 over the course of 7 seasons. Hmm. 7 years, 240 million dollars for a guy who's 35 years old. You don't need me to tell you that that is not going to be something the Padres are going to enjoy paying out for. Mm-hmm. But again, It's the salary in these first three years that really matters. And even though the luxury tax hit for the Padres is still going to be essentially the AAV of the contract, which is to say about um, some, you know, 31 or so, 31, 32 million dollars. Point of this is they are keeping the salary low enough in the first three years that there is still room to go out and add pieces as need be. Because I think in AJ Prowler's mind, the idea is, look, anything past 2026 with this roster fundamentally does not matter. Mm. And I think you could even extend that to anything really past 2025 with this roster fundamentally does not matter because, and I know we just I know I just mentioned Darvish will be 42 in this contract. ends. Machado will be 40. They're not expecting productive years out of those Mm. guys at that point. No one should be. The contracts like that are set up for one luxury tax monkeying around purposes Two, because you know, they, the Padres would much rather pay Machado less now and more later given, you know, given inflation and given that, Uh, They need to create as much payroll space as they can now. Uh, And it almost starts to feel like an NFL contract when you look Mm. at it that way. Uh, The other part of that is when you look at who is under contract long-term, with the exception of Tatis, Bogarts, now Machado, and Darvish, there really isn't anyone who is projected to be around. Oh, and Joe Musgrove, who um, in in what hopefully is minor news for the Padres, broke a toe with a kettlebell. Uh, That
0: sounds painful as hell.
1: Yeah, I would not like to drop heavy things on my foot Uh, that sounds like a really really bad time for everyone but basically aside from those five Tatis, Bogarts, Machado, Darvish and Musgrove nobody on this team is really uh, anywhere past 2024 contract wise and that includes Soto. Uh, Soto's final year under team contract is 2024 and I think obviously the big question now is do they get an extension done with him do they just lock up that core six for an ungodly sum of money and just say hey the next three plus years, we're gonna build around these guys. We're gonna to try to make a championship happen. And if it doesn't work, then we will pivot and figure something else out. Because the other part of it is there's, n- again, there's not really a whole lot else on the Padres right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the guys who cost money, Blake Snell will be a free agent after the season. Drew Pomeranz will be a free agent after the season. Josh Hader will be a free agent after the season. Um, you know, Obviously those guys need to be replaced in some capacity or another, but at the same time, you know, there is gonna be room to do that. Ostensibly at least. I mean, look, it, it, it is a risky strategy to put all this money on guys past thirty to try to open up the next three to four years ideally, because again, you're looking at the back half of those deals being very, very painful in terms of the financial outlay, unless but but again, part of the other thing is we have no idea what what the sport or how the world really itself is even gonna look like in three to four years. Mm. To say nothing about the fact that the next uh, the next CBA I believe the next CBA negotiation uh, yes it lasts until December 2026 so we're gonna have mm-hmm. an entirely new CBA for the 2027 season that I imagine will also have if MLB is you know serious about it with this financial reform committee which is just another fun way of saying the latest attempt by owners to try to institute some kind of salary cap in the game. The economics of baseball are probably going to look pretty different in the next three to four years or mm. after that period of time. So you can almost see it as the Padres being like, again, we'll open that window. We will take our shop for the next three to four years with this core of Tatis, Bogarts, Machado, Darvish, Musgrove, and potentially Soto. That obviously is the big question now is whether they have the money still to get him extended. My guess is he goes to free agency anyway because if he has two good healthy years in San Diego, his, his value will be... I mean, we're talking about a guy who will probably end up, you know, pulling down a $450 million contract in free agency. So, so we'll you don't think there's a,
0: what would you say is the possibility that they extend him before then? And before I mean, he it's certainly create.
1: possible. I mean, I thought there yeah. was no chance that they were going to extend Machado, and yet right. here we are. But again, that's because they offered Machado a deal that he was never going to get in free agency. No team was going to give him probably more than seven or eight years at about 240 million dollars, or what the mm. Padres will be paying him from t- like 2026 onward, mm. you know, th- this is the kind of deal that Machado would have been absolutely like idiotic to turn down. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they can make an offer to Soto that falls in the same category unless their opening bid is whatever Aaron Judge made plus a little extra. I think yeah. that's probably where Scott Boris wants to start with soto because his argument is going to be he's basically he's not a good as, as good a defender as judge but he's basically as good a hitter if not better he's younger you know you can build an entire lineup around him he's arguably the closest we've ever come to seeing ted williams reincarnated you know aside from the batting average portion of it um i i don't think it's likely that the padres are going to make that kind of offer i do think that they will probably be talking with boris throughout the next two years to try to get a sense if there's something that could be done. But mm. I think ultimately the lure of free agency is going to be too big for a guy like that. Whereas I think a guy like Machado and similarly a guy like Darvish, free agency probably didn't hold that much appeal if only because, again, the Padres offered them contracts that they were never going to get in free agency, particularly with the length. Uh, ben Clemens wrote about this with the Darvish contract um, back after it happened and that this basically represents a kind of risk reversal scenario to borrow Hmm. a term from finance he you know for the team it makes a lot of sense to get these guys locked in locked in long term at rates that are affordable to them i.e you pay less up front you pay more down the road to help you monkey around with the luxury tax business of it the players meanwhile get the extra guarantee of again no one was going to give manny machado a contract presumably past age 38. no one was going to give you darvish a contract going up until age 42. They have that now. They have guaranteed money that will last them into their early 40s. That's a huge coup for them. All they have to do in exchange is take less money up front, which for guys like Machado and Darvish, who've already made a ton of money in their careers, that's obviously less important to them. On top of the fact that doing that helps the Padres build a deeper roster that will contend for what's left of Machado's and Darvish's primes. Or maybe not even prime for Darvish. Well... I mean, he's 37, but either way.
0: Is Darvish really 37?
1: Yes. It's amazing how old you Darvish is and how long he's been around in baseball and how much longer he'll be around in baseball. It's actually kind of great. So
0: <laughs> 37, I would have never have guessed 37 for Darvish. I would be I way off. I would have said 33, 32. I know. Right. But That's so
1: wild. Also, do you, I had completely not realized that Nelson Cruz is signed for a one year. Why does baseball reference of Nelson Cruz down for a one year, $1 million contract? That doesn't feel right. Anyway. Um, yeah. Hmm. Point of it all being, I think it make, obviously it makes a ton of sense for Machado. Like I said, he would have been a fool to turn this down. I think it makes a lot of sense for San Diego because, again, as we've noted, they are in the championship contention period. This is a team that can win a World Series, I think. They want to keep that window as open as long as they can, particularly given that the farm system that they have is going to take some time to build back up. They've expended a lot of the prospects that they developed through that system, through trades, through graduation, through you know the usual reasons prospects fail. They need some time to start building that back up to start building back up the kind of cheap players that help a team like you know stay in its contention cycle for the time being though it kind of feels something similar to what the rams were doing in los angeles which is just pay all the money get all the stars try to win a title and if we win we'll deal with the mess that we've created later obviously a little different in the nfl because of the salary cap and because the rams gave up so many first round uh, draft picks in the process of building that team You know thankfully for san diego they're still going to have their you know their ability to sign international players they're still gonna have their ability to to get players through the draft more or less unimpeded there's no salary cap all they have to deal with is the pain of the luxury tax which for san diego again if if that's the cost to win a championship so be it but i think it makes a lot of sense to lock in machado you're probably i think almost certainly i haven't looked at the other bats available in free agency but i think now the machado is off the off the market hitters in free agency that's going to be a rough category next hmm. year there are not a lot of options beyond shohei otani and he's going to require 500 million dollars so hmm. i think it makes sense that san diego say you know what we're not going to get a better third baseman through through free agency you know maybe you could argue well let's see how this all shakes out with bogarts and tatis and who plays where and who does what and how good tatis looks where do we do what do we do with hacyon kim etc 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 i think it makes more sense though just to lock in that lock in machado at third base maybe a guy eventually you do have to move him at some point you're gonna to have to move him at some point during that contract he's already started declining from being an elite defender to just a very good one if not of just simply a good one you know at some point in the next few years that's gonna to have to happen obviously the good thing for san diego is with the dh if machado does start breaking down a little sooner than expected you can just plug him in there and let him just be the kind of latter generation Mickey cabrera if you want if he wants to be point of all that being i think it makes a lot of sense for san diego it's a lot of money, yes, but I think it makes sense for where they are. And when the time comes to pay the most painful parts of that bill, again, we're gonna have a, we're gonna be at or approaching a new CBA. We're gonna be the the roster is gonna be entirely turned over from that point, with the exception of, again, Tatis, Bogarts, and uh, I guess the last couple years of Darvish and maybe one more year of Joe Musgrove. There's gonna be a lot of room for that roster to be built. And while you know $35 million or whatever it, or you know, whatever the AAV is at that, from that point forward looks painful, it'll be a lot less painful when the rest of the roster is essentially making no money or more or less non-existent, you know?
0: Yeah. And if you get two titles out of it, guess what? No one cares. And also, if you're exactly. a Padres fan, you're just like, this is all awesome because I didn't think we'd ever see this in our lifetime. I didn't like, think we'd ever operate like this. If you're
1: like a Padres this. fan and someone tells you, hey, the back half of Manny Machado's contract, that team's going to suck. Like, be yeah. utterly unwatchable. But in exchange, you get at least one World Series. What Padres fan doesn't take that deal? Yeah, They've literally never seen one. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately, I think, what this is all about. It's ultimately, what it is all about. The fact that the San Diego Padres have never won a World Series. And the fact that this roster is probably the best Padres roster that has ever existed. And it's probably, especially with the way the Dodgers are looking, especially in light of the Gavin Lux injury that they suffered. Uh, very tragi- not tragic. Not tragically, I shouldn't say that. But, you know, very poorly timed and very uh, disruptive to their plans. This is there has never been a better opportunity for the Dodgers to win the West and make their path to winning the World Series that much easier. So, I think it makes great, a lot of sense. It it you know again it comes off like AJ Preller's latest like you know 2 a.m. like wild decision, but I think there's a lot of sense behind it for where the Padres are right
0: now. Well, you mentioned it, the Dodgers. We already had questions going into the year about just how they would match up with the Padres and where they even sat compared to the the three big teams in the NL East before the season. Gavin Lux, who we weren't certain was going to be able to be the everyday shortstop for the Dodgers anyway, he has a terrible spring training injury where he tears his ACL and then he has like, I think, UCL damage too. They uh, said there was
1: some other lateral damage in there. So ugh. yeah. So he's really, gone for really the year. Yeah.
0: And now it looks like Miguel Rojas is going to be the everyday
1: shortstop. Like, I mean, look, what's the other option here? Like This, this was always the risk the Dodgers were taking when they... Mm-hmm. And, and this is the risk any team takes when it when it essentially plays cheap with the roster. Yeah. You know, or when it does something like, and I've talked about this with the Red Sox a million times, where it's the, the picture of contention for the Red Sox requires so many different pieces and players to align in exactly the right way to make it happen. And I think this year's Dodgers team, uh, un, uh, unusually for what we've seen out of the Dodgers, was in a similar place where it's like, hey, there's a lot of really good talent on this roster, but for this team to be a real contender, they need guys like Lux to be there and not just be an, every, an everyday starter, but be an above average everyday starter. That's the thing that raises the ceiling for the team. Obviously that's gone now. It's, you know, suffice to say it is a big downgrade going from Gavin Lux in the lineup every day to Miguel Rojas in the lineup every day. Defensively, the Dodgers might be better off, but it, I, although who knows, Rojas is in his early 30s. This is where guys start to begin, start to begin. This is where guys start the decline phase of their, athletic, of their athleticism, where their defense does start to slide a bit. You know, to say nothing of the fact that Rojas is at best a league average hitter and probably will not even get there. You know, this is the a plan of not for him
0: to be your everyday shortstop. No, he, no, yeah. this
1: was this was not the Dodgers' plan. The Dodgers' plan was Gavin Lux out there every day, mm-hmm. uh, unless he could not handle it. This is a real problem for them. Not so much in the sense that I don't. Obviously, Gavin Lux was not. You know, this is not losing Mookie Betts or Freddie Freeman for the season. That's the kind of thing where you look at it and go, okay, well, the Dodgers just aren't going to make the playoffs this year. But this is the kind of thing that lowers the ceiling from this team from like 92 wins to like 90 wins, if not mm. worse than that. You know, we're we're looking at these are the kinds of little paper cuts, and I don't even know if you call Lux a paper cut. This is a pretty serious injury and yeah. a pretty serious blow to what the Dodgers roster is. In particular, because again, now you have to make Rojas a full-time starter, which li- which lessens the v- the versatility that both he offered. And that this entire infield was kind of supposed to work around, you know? Mm-hmm. This wasn't just supposed to be we plug one guy in here and plug one guy in there and we leave him alone for the rest. No, there was going to be, okay, Miguel Vargas is probably going to move around a bit. Max Muncy is probably going to move around a bit. Chris Taylor is going to move around a bit. Lux himself would probably have been moving around a bit. And the days where he wasn't at short, Rojas was going to be there. But Rojas was probably also going to offer that versatility at second and third. Now you're looking at not only do you not have Lux's bat in the lineup and you're replacing it with uh, with Miguel Rojas, which, again, significant downgrade you're also looking at your new backup infielder being well not miguel rojas anymore now your new backup infielder is yanni hernandez that's not like again look at the dodgers bench right now includes is there anyone
0: at AAA or in the spring who could step up that well here's
1: here's the funny thing the guy who would have been in place to step in for lux jacob amaya was the guy the dodgers traded to the marlins for miguel rojas yeah so, and this is where that trade, I, I know we, when we talked about that trade, one of the things I was kind of confused about was I don't really get why you're giving up the cheaper, uh, potentially higher ceiling, younger version of Rojas in exchange for the established version of Rojas. I think what we landed on was Dave Roberts probably felt better with a veteran infielder who could you know play around the diamond, who there weren't questions about the bat or the glove in, in really either direction, than hoping that a AAA hitter can you know make the jump into the majors as a guy who's not playing regularly. But again, this would have been, you know, if you asked the Dodgers right now, hey, would you rather have Jacob Amaya or Miguel Rojas right now? I think it'd probably still be Rojas, but it's definitely a lot closer of a a conversation. And again, the back half of this lineup is a significant problem for the Dodgers right now. Right now, if you're facing a right-hander, that group is David Peralta, Trace Thompson, Miguel Vargas, and Miguel Rojas. And I know Vargas has some real upside. He's been a very good prospect for the Dodgers in the past. You know, I know Trace Thompson had a really good season last year. I know that, you know, if you use Peralta in the right, th- this is not a deep lineup anymore. Mm. And really, from the top four, and really, you can add J.D. Martinez to that kind of eh group, because the J.D. Martinez we saw last year was not the J.D. Martinez we've seen in years previous. This looked like the version of J.D. Martinez that was finally starting to kind of, if not fall off the cliff, at least take the stumble that leads to him toppling over the cliff. And again, the the bench for this team also is kind of a problem right now. Chris Taylor is going to have to play everywhere at all times. I really don't understand or expect that the Dodgers think they're going to get anything out of Jason Hayward other than some good defense. I don't know who Yanni Hernandez is, and my apologies to Yanni Hernandez, but I flat out do not know who he is. And I don't really think the Dodgers came into the season thinking Yanni Hernandez is going to be a guy that we're going to have to rely on sometimes. This is a problem for them. This is a genuine problem for them made all the much worse by the fact that if you look around the league and think, okay, can they go out and get themselves a shortstop? Who's doing that? Who is out there willing to move an establish shortstop right now that the Dodgers can realistically and reasonably make a deal with? And before you say Fernando Tatis
0: challenge trade, because yes, that is the single funniest possible outcome of this. That's not who I was going to actually say, John. Do you know who I was actually going to say that, like, is definitely kicking himself because he just didn't wait a little bit longer? Is it Dansby? No. It's Elvis Andrews.
1: It's Yeah. that's. Elvis that's Andrews
0: one. signed with, what, the White Sox a week ago? Just about, yeah. If he waited another week, he's a Dodger right now. That Probably. man is full-on a Dodger and going to have a great bounce-back year and just get to compete for a title, and he went to another team that we don't think is going to be good and not make the playoffs if andrews had waited one more week i think elvis andrews is your starting shortstop
1: i I will note that for andrews i think he ended up in a pretty good situation anyway because of the fact that he gets to be the starter albeit at second base for chicago because that team is not allowed to do normal things Mm -hmm. and does things like play elvis andrews at shortstop or at second base rather but Yeah, there there's no real there are no options obviously available on in the free agent market anymore. I think Andrews is far and away the best option left at this point. You're now looking at maybe Jose Iglesias,
0: Tony with the A's,
1: and if you're looking at making a deal with someone, I mean, look, I I think if for nothing else, the Dodgers will probably just roll with Vargas or with Vargas with Rojas for the first half of the season at least. Get a sense of what he's got there. You know, see if maybe there's some if if at least his combination of. Good defense and meh offense can at least, you know, float things enough. If not, you know, do you start looking, though, at a guy like Ahmed Rosario in Cleveland, who's going to be a free agent after the season and who Cleveland is almost certainly not going to pay? Uh, do you try to see what it would take to get Tim Anderson off the White Sox, even though doing that would probably lead the entirety of the South side to rise up as one and tear Jerry Reinsdorf limb from limb? Do you go get another kind of glove first guy like Nick Ahmed or Isaiah Keiner Falefa to try to just. You know, do you go all defense? Do you take a gamble on, on like, buying a heavily subsidized Paul De Jong off of the, off the Cardinals? Here's a really intriguing one. If, you know, if, if he looks at all better this year and if his team really just decides screw it, what if the Tigers, what if the Tigers come out and say, hey, what do you want for Javi Baez?
0: That's a good – I mean, yeah, that uh, – they wouldn't have to give up much. It's like you're taking on the money anyway. That's the big part of it. and You give the Tigers a break. You're really doing them a solid.
1: You're doing right? them a solid, truly, because Baez is under contract for at least another, I think, two or three more years But that doesn't this. affect
0: the daughters. Like, you got Freeman. Every, like, everyone's locked up. Who but cares? That's, but this yeah. is the
1: other part of it is part of why they wanted Lux <laughs> in the first place and why they didn't splurge on Trey Turner or Swanson or Bogarts or Carlos Correa is that – they want to keep this payroll and their luxury tax payment as low as it can be because yeah. again, as we know, this offseason, or this coming offseason rather, they are gonna go monstrously hard after Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. There is not a single I don't I don't I mean you look at the the hitters available generally uh who are set to be free agents this offseason, it's really not a whole lot. You know, it it's your bet the best hitter on the market right now is probably teoscar hernandez that can't be good so th- there's not really any reason for the dodgers and i think the other part of it too is they're all if they're not going to go after otani or even if they do go after otani the other thing they're going to be looking at is the pitching market because they're going to have scherzer otani stroman kershaw charlie morton uh martin perez lance lynn Eduardo oh, i guess Eduardo water is a club option their own guy julio urias whom they need to figure out at some point what they want to do with in terms of an extension or not Uh, Josh Hader, Sean Manea. There there are a lot of guys about to hit free. This free agent market, Giolito, Sonny Gray, Blake Snell, Luis Severino, Corey Kluber, Alex. There are going to be a lot of names available in the pitching market next year. And I think more than anything, the Dodgers want to keep their powder dry, both for Otani and for if they do need to get some more pitching help. So that doesn't really leave them a whole lot of room to take on a big contract at shortstop like Baez. But... I think at the very least, what we're probably going to see is Rojas is your starter at short for at least the first few months. I think the Dodgers will just try to make the best, try to make do the best they can with him. But I wouldn't be surprised too, if they, they add shortstop to that list of uh, outside additions, which also then complicates their ability to say, if they want to say, make a trade for Brian Reynolds at any point, you know, now they have to keep in mind, oh, but what's the prospect capital cost going to be for going after a shortstop? I mean, if they get someone like Ahmed Rosario, it's probably not going to be that high. And I do think Rosario is probably a guy who would make sense for them. But that's only going to happen if Cleveland really is entirely out of it. You know, that's, I don't think that's a guy the Guardians are going to move unless they're either blown away by an offer or things have just gone terribly, terribly wrong for them. So with the exception of him, I don't really know where, uh, where the Dodgers can find a potentially above average shortstop uh, on, on the trade market. Here's another funny option, Brandon Crawford. That would be hysterical. Uh, deeply painful I to that, Giants though. fans. But I, I also I don't know that Crawford necessarily – I think he brings a little more to the table than Rojas does. But, again, another guy who's on the back nine of his career. You can't really guarantee that you're going to get Brandon Crawford, you know, the way we've always expected. But, yeah, I mean, no, no – Evan
0: Longoria back at sh- – let's put him at short for the Dodgers. Let's Why get not? weird. Honestly. Um, but, yeah. Isn't um, it weird he's a Diamondback? Like, that's just – that's one of those that's
1: going to take me a bit where every yeah. time I see him at bat, I'm like, oh, yeah, right, that's a thing.
0: That's but, so weird.
1: Yeah, obviously, no other way around it. This is a bad loss, loss for the Dodgers, yeah. and this is something that's, you know, I, I think it's not the thing that swings a division race, Like
0: obviously. Yeah, but they I won think 111 games last year.
1: Yeah, but I think this is something where, and, and we'll probably see this once the loss of Lux gets baked into our projections with regards to... Uh, going from him to Rojas and and how the playing time gets distributed further down the the ladder. But I do think this is the kind of thing that makes the Padres that much more the favorite to uh, to win the division at this point.
0: That's fair. Speaking of divisions, John. Yes. It's time for our preview series. Okay. AL East. Yes. The AL East is where we're starting. Okay. Whew. Let's start... It's a division. What a division. There could be four playoff teams in this division i
1: it's not impossible right i mean the nl east did three Mm -hmm. and i think the top four teams in the al east are probably yeah i mean i I think i mean you look at our our win projections or sorry our our off our playoff odds there we go our playoff odds projections we've got the Rays, Blue Jays, and Yankees all winning 87 or more games. The one we're really low on is the Orioles. We only have them at 75 games hmm. uh, projected. Part of that is just the variance of that roster, but I, I don't think anyone would be surprised if the Orioles did what they did again last year and and you know are part of that contention picture. And that leaves out the Red Sox, who I'm not particularly high on right now for a variety of reasons, but you know not not a team i think that is going to be as bad as say like the tigers or the royals or the the nationals or anything a team that if everything breaks right will also be part of that contention picture so yeah very legitimate chance that there are at minimum three playoff teams from this group and potentially four depending on how the AL central and west shake out
0: well john the yankees so i think we should say is the favorite going into yes. 2023 they get Aaron Judge back Mm-hmm. um the lineup is still deep like they I mean it'd be nice if they got a full uh Aaron Hicks healthy season there mm-hmm. um pitching starting pitching especially well little cause for concern there with the yeah depth when we talked there. about the
1: Frankie Montas stuff that um, stinks it's it's again like Lux not one of those things that costs you to the division but one of those things that definitely hurts and lowers your ceiling for sure
0: my question to you about the Yankees are they deep enough do you feel to be the favorite and M1- when the AL East again. Do you feel good enough to say that they should comfortably win the AL East again?
1: I don't know about comfortably, but I think they should be the favorite, and I think they do have the depth barring injury. Mm-hmm. I, I know when, we, when Montes went down, we talked about how that pretty much removed New York's uh, latent starting pitching advantage in that Domingo Herman goes from being a, a kind of swingman six starter type to firmly locked into the rotation, assuming he gets the nod over, say, uh, Clark Schmidt or someone like that. And the fact that your starting pitching depth is now purely minor leaguers like Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt, Randy Vasquez, potentially Matt Crook, uh, maybe Johnny Brito. You know the, the the Yankees don't have much in the way of veteran starters just kind of languishing in Triple A, you know, waiting for an opportunity. You know, so th- their their rotation as you see it right now pretty much is it, and with the exception of Montes, they're not gonna get any internal reinforcements beyond sorry beyond Montas and the and the kids they have in their farm system. So that's a potential issue uh, area of depth. I think obviously the other big thing like you mentioned, you know, Aaron Hicks in left field, that's kind of a fluid situation where, you know, that's that's a position where they I think they've kind of figured let's just see how it plays out. Maybe they're still waiting for the price to come down on a guy like Reynolds. Similarly with Josh Donaldson at third base, we saw last year that that's not really it doesn't really feel like there's a whole lot of juice left to squeeze out of out of that particular fruit, but if nothing else, having a healthy DJ LeMahieu makes things a lot easier for New York just in terms of the versatility and depth they have defensively you know if if Donaldson is struggling LeMahieu can just very can quickly step into third base if Claibor Torres takes a step back LeMahieu can step in at second base Um, I, I think the depth is good on this team and I think especially when you consider what they have going on with the combo of Oswald Peraza Oswaldo Cabrera and eventually I think it will happen this season, Anthony Volpe, to give them a really big boost up the middle, potentially, where they were, and on the left side of the infield, where things were a little shaky last year. You know, I think that could be a really good group for them to come in. I mean, Paraz and Cabrera will probably start the season on the roster. I imagine Volpe will be up at some point during the season, but I think those guys can give them a nice, solid boost, uh, either on the left side of the infield or potentially with Cabrera as a kind of Marwin Gonzalez type utility guy who can play the outfield, who can play the infield. Uh, at some positions and just or just be a useful pinch hitting bat so I still like them as a favorite I think they still got the right depth and the thing is it's still a very good farm system that should be able to produce the prospect and isn't necessary that if the, Dod- if the Dodgers if the Yankees do need to make a move along the lines of Brian Reynolds or to add some starting pitching depth I think that opportunity is right there for them
0: I would tend to agree John a team that we might not agree on but I want to go down this model for the remainder of uh the four here the best case for the Tampa bay rays bouncing back in 2023 is what john
1: uh better health which is already Mm. off to a bad start because they're going to (laughs) be without tyler glass now for at least the next two months so yeah not ideal but uh it involves brandon lau having a healthy season it involves a fully healthy season for manny margot because i think as they saw last year um their top outfield prospect uh, where'd he go on this thing? Josh Lowe, or Josh Lau. It's it's weird how they have all the Lows and Lau's. Mm. Um, Josh Lowe did not look ready for primetime last season in the brief appearance he got. I think that's still going to have to be Margot, at least for the time being, until they figure something else out. Uh, It's going to be getting a full good season out of guys like Jose Siri. It's going to be a full good season out of Jonathan Aranda backing up multiple positions. It's going to be a full healthy season out of Wander Franco. I think Hmm. when you look back on what the Rays did last year, they had to do the majority of it without Franco, without Lau, uh, without Margot, without Glasnow, without... Without Shane Baz, without Yanni Chirinos, without a whole lot of relievers that they were, you know, that they were uh, relying on. a guy like Andrew Kitteridge was so good for them, but is going to miss this entire season with Tommy John surgery. You know, they need good health, and I I like what the Rays have now roster-wise, but it again, it really does rely on everyone needs to be healthy, and ideally, it involves guys like Kyle Manzardo and Curtis Mead and Vidal Bruhan and Josh Lowe coming up and being able to make some kind of impact. The, the Rays did not really get much out of the young guys they called up last season. Is kind of a, a quiet, a quiet like misstep for them, or not misstep, but a quiet issue for them is that their player, their farm system did not really produce that much help last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys like Bruhan and Lau really, did, really struggled when they were given the opportunity. But I think uh, again, if the if the health holds, you know, you have you have the necessary depth, and I think between Mead, Taj, Bradley, and Menzardo. There are some guys in the immediate future who I think can help um, if things do start going a little screwy. But yeah, are again, already off to a bad start in that regard with Glasnow that you now have. Although I get, this rotation is okay without him. McClanahan, Rasmussen, Eflin, Springs, and Yanni Torinos. that's fine. You know, That's not a bad rotation. If Yanni Torinos is your fifth starter, you're doing okay. But you know, obviously that's a better team with Tyler Glasnow healthy, and any realistic chance of the Rays winning the division – requires fully healthy, requires at least like 25 plus starts from McClanahan and Glasnow each, I would say. And I'm wondering now if Glasnow is actually going to get to that point because again, he's out the whole month of March and probably the whole month of April too. So we're it's not going
0: to... He doesn't really get to a spring. He has to kind of ramp up. Like it's just going to be, it's going to be tough.
1: It's going to be tough. I don't think we're going to see him until at least mid-May, which mm-hmm. is not the worst thing for the Rays. Um, but again, it, it's, it's part of the issue for them. They need guys to stay healthy and they're already off to a bad start in that regard.
0: And those eyes, man.
1: Those—I mean, he's dreamy. He's a dreamy man.
0: He is a dream. The
1: dreamy hair man. and the everything.
0: Blue Jays.
1: Yes. Speaking of Toronto again. Toronto. James Click
0: joined the Blue Jays, by the way. The he did. This week.
1: Uh, good landing spot for him. He just gets to tool around under Alex Anthopoulos until some team needs a GM. No, yeah, not like
0: Alex or, or, Anthopoulos. not Anthopoulos is sorry, over here sorry. in Atlanta, sir. Ross Atkins. Yeah, man. don't take him away from I, us.
1: I have, like, Alex Anthopoulos has not been the general manager in Toronto since, what, like 2019, if even that? And
0: I'm still Maybe out before here being that. Like, yeah. Alex
1: Anthopoulos runs the Blue Jays. Mm
0: hmm. Um,. I always like, you know, it wasn't Alex Thapus for me with the Blue Jays. It was always uh, JP Ricciardi.
1: Yeah. Can I just say, too, I know that Poutine is not a Toronto thing. It's a Montreal thing, or at least uh-huh. it's more a Montreal thing than a Toronto thing. How did the Blue Jays not have Alex and Thapoutine <laughs> as an option at their games when he was in charge? It was right there. Mm-hmm. Very sad.
0: The case for the Blue Jays winning the AL East and being better than they were a year ago is what, John?
1: Uh, I think... They need, for starters, they need a more out of the bullpen beyond Jordan Romano. I think mm. that, you know, this is a bullpen group where you look at it, it's fine, it's nothing special. I think Eric Swanson helps a lot. I think the development of Jimmy Garcia helps a lot. I would like to see Toronto get a better left-hander than Tim Meza. I'm not super high on him. Uh, the kind of slow-tossing... Uh, Situational group of Adam Simber and Trevor Richards. I'm I'm not super high on. Similarly, they need more from the back and middle of that rotation. I think if Jose Barrios has another season like he did last year, I don't think the Jays win the AL East. I don't think he is necessarily the decisive X factor, but I do think that they need him to be the number at least the mid rotation starter I think they expected him to be. It's a little easier now because you have Chris Bassett as the th- as the third guy between behind Manoa and Gaussman. But I think they really need Barrios to step up, particularly because I don't i don't think anyone should trust Yusei Kikuchi. They're, Ryu is not going to come back this season because he had Tommy John last year. I do have no clue what Nate Pearson is anymore. I don't think the Blue Jays do either. I think whatever they get from him is just gravy at this point. Uh, beyond that, I think they need... A big. They need Dalton Varsho to carry over the performance he had in Arizona last year, which I think is up for debate because I think a lot of the peripherals there did not necessarily love him as a hitter. And I think a lot of the defensive value he accumulated for Arizona is kind of also similarly up for question, considering that we're relying on single-season defensive metrics. And I think they need bounce-back years from Brandon Belt and Whit Merrifield. Those guys are holding down pretty important roles in this lineup. Belt is pretty much the regular DH right now. Uh, with Alejandro Kirk becoming the regular starting catcher now that the Blue Jays have gotten rid of Gabriel Moreno in, in exchange for Varsha, which makes Danny Jansen the backup. Similarly with with Merrifield, who is now the starting second baseman. I mean, there is if that doesn't work, you can always plug Santiago Espinal in there. I know Kavan, Kavan Biggio is still hanging around, but I think if they get something closer to the... I think the prime versions of Belt and Merrifield are gone, but I think they, if they get something closer to better than league average production from them, this is an impossibly deep lineup if those guys hit. Even without them, though, that top six, Springer, Bichette, Vlad, Kirk, Varsho, Chapman, that's really good. That's probably the best lineup in the AL East right now. If Belt and Merrifield are healthy and productive, boy, is that going to be special. And I think, too, that this should be a better defensive team than it was last year as well. Kiermaier will help. Uh, I think Varsho should help. Um, But, yeah, I think the big things for me is better bullpen performance beyond Jordan Romano, uh, getting a good season out of Jose Barrios, bounce backs from Brandon Belt and Witt Merrifield, if the Blue Jays get those things, I think they're right there with the Yankees in the division.
0: What is the biggest cause for concern? If you had to say, like, they missed the playoffs, they missed the playoffs, why this year, John? Uh,
1: the rotation beyond Manoa, Gaussman, and Bassett. Well, first of all, injuries. If any of other major guys get hurt, that's a really serious problem, obviously. Mm. Uh, if Manoa or Gaussman go down, big problem. Uh, and similarly, if the bullpen is really just Romano and Swanson and then you're just kind of rolling dice the rest of the time out, I think that's going to be a problem. So I would look for... How do the Blue Jays going to do? Close and late, high leverage, one-run games, that kind of thing. And what are they going to, again, what are they going to get out of Barrios? It is so critical that he has, I mean, he, he, just, doesn't have, he just can't have the season he had last year. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be an ace. He doesn't have to be a 125 ERA plus guy. But he's got to be something closer to better than league average than what he was last year. You know, whatever that is, whatever needs to happen, they can't afford another bad season from him like that because the starting pitching depth is just not there for Toronto right now. Again, mm. they're they're rolling out with Yusei Kikuchi as their number five starter, and he was flat out awful last year for the most part. You know? They need better from they need better from Barrios if they're gonna survive the full 162-game grind.
0: Man. I think I'm pretty optimistic, though. I think the Blue Jays make the playoffs, and I think they're gonna be a contender. Right? I think
1: I think they're a playoff yeah. team as is. I think the d- the difference between them being a wildcard team and a division winning team is Barrios being better. Getting more out of that bullpen and Merrifield and and Belt bouncing back on top of everything else, kind of holding steady,
0: you know. For sure. Speaking of holding steady, the Boston Red Sox. The case for them bouncing back and I'm not going to say winning the AL East. I don't think there actually is a path for them winning. No, I I I was going to say the case
1: for them winning the AL East is the Yankees team plane accidentally flies the wrong way and lands in France and mm-hmm. then the French steal the plane, and then the Yankees have to organize a really complicated heist to get the plane back that mm-hmm. involves, like, outfits and, like, dummies and, like, <laughs> fake doubles and, like, misdirection, but then, like, Aaron judge trips and breaks his arm, and then that's it. Point being that, no, I don't think this Red Sox team is good enough to win the division unless mm-hmm. all of these guys hit, like, their 90th percentile projection outcomes. Yeah. You know, this. this is not a good – this is not a balanced roster. This is not a good roster. This is the roster that you get – when you're just playing like when you're trying to figure out how to save money and contend at the same time, but you don't have the farm system to make so, to make that work yet. So best case scenario for the Red Sox, I think, is a wild card team, hmm. and it's it's also going to be a scenario where they need a lot of older guys to kind of to to be productive regulars. You know, you're, you're relying on Justin Turner to kind of turn the clock back a bit. You're relying on Adam Duvall to be a functional full time starter in center field, no less, at 35 years old. You're mm. hoping that Christian Arroyo can actually hold down a full-time job without getting hurt for the first time, pretty much in his career. You're hoping that Masataka Yoshida makes the transition over from NPB seamlessly. You're hoping there's another gear in Alex Verdugo. You're hoping that Tristan Casas can make that can make that adjustment quickly to uh, to MLB caliber pitching. You're hoping that Chris Sale and James Paxton are healthy. You're hoping Garrett Whitlock makes a good rotation transition. You're like, there's so much you hope, you hope, you hope, mm. you hope. The only guys here who I think you really feel comfortable about going in are, you feel good about Rafael Devers, that's about it. I think every other guy here is a pretty big question mark, and that includes Kenley Jansen, because he's one of those guys I think we really, really are going to want to watch closely to -hmm. see how the pitch clock and the new emphasis on pace of play affects him. Hmm. He's one of the slowest relievers in baseball. To say, and also his motion has a little bit of a kind of hitch or a, a delay in it that I am pretty sure umpires are going to start calling out as part of this new enforcement on uh balks and other illegal motions in or other legal, uh, I guess illegal motions in your motion, whatever. Hmm. So I, that's the thing, I, there are a lot of question marks up and down this roster, and I think again, if everyone stays healthy and reaches their upper tier projections, this is a good team. But all it takes is a few injuries and guys playing either to kind of their 50th percentile or down from that. And this is pretty clearly a 500 team. You know, I I think this is going to be this team is going to have a hard time cracking 85 ish wins. That might be enough for a playoff spot. But I think the Red Sox getting into the playoffs is going to require a lot of surprising performance and a lot of overperformance from guys that I think rightfully we look at and go, I don't know about that. Like, again, you're hoping James Paxton, who basically has not pitched in the last two years, is not just healthy enough to be productive, but also healthy enough to give you like 175 innings. Because there's mm. again, there's not really a whole lot of depth. I think similarly with Toronto, there's not really a whole lot of pitching depth back here where you feel good about, oh, okay, if James Paxton isn't healthy, that's no problem. We're just going to lean on. Well, Brian Matt is not ready. You know, uh, Brandon Walter is probably not ready. Chris Murphy is probably not ready. I, you got Brian Bello, who I assume will be part of this rotation one way or the other. But Luis Castillo two I like it. Uh, go read our Fangraphs article by Esteban Rivera on that. He made a yeah. very he did a very nice piece, kind of comparing, contrasting Bello and Castillo, and pointing out how very similar they are, which is nice mm-hmm. to read. But otherwise, like your your next guy after him is Josh Winkowski, who looked about as replace as replacement level a starter as you could get last year. So. Similarly, offense on, on offense, you know, if a guy like Enrique, if a guy like Kike Hernandez goes down again, who is now the short the starting shortstop at 32 years old after not playing that position for like two and a half years, how did we end up here? Um, <laughs> you're looking at regular starting fast sh- enough. You're looking at regular starting shortstop Yu Chang if that happens. You know, th- this is there is not really th- there is no real safety net for a lot of this roster. And I, I think that's that ultimately is the kind of thing, where you know that that just sinks your playoff chances more than anything else. When you start losing, we saw it last year with the Red Sox. They started losing guys, and granted, at a pace far far more than I think most teams ever deal with. But when they started losing those guys, they didn't have the replacements ready to 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 kind of step in. And mm-hmm. I think that's still the case this season, where we're not really seeing that that group of ready for the majors minor leaguers, particularly on offense are ready to step in and be and and take over if things do go south with the older veterans on this team
0: but you get to look forward to corbin burns getting traded to boston in a couple months
1: haha ha, that's like why like no corbin burns one is going to be a dodger two mm. i why 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 do i have to think about this team i sound so grumpy for like a 500 team we but the just,
0: season hasn't even started yet john I'm, I'm already this about grumpy. john taylor <laughs> oh my goodness i'm already i'm a little nervous about john. something Um, The last team Mm -hmm. The numbers don't like them They didn't like Mm -hmm. them last year They They still flirted with the playoffs They have more infield talent Young talent than they know what to do with Like they're eventually going to have to make some difficult decisions (laughs) It's a good problem to have It's a very good Um, problem to have But some difficult decisions They have some young guys obviously with got the names on this team, Adley, Rutschman, Gunner, Henderson. Uh, there's just so many. Jackson, Holiday, that are going to come through this group that just sound like good baseball player names. Mm-hmm. Um, which is always a good sign. You can never go wrong with good baseball player names. Like, Max Freed was always going to be a good pitcher. Like, Max Freed I, just... I
1: feel that way, too, that there are certain names you just feel good about, yeah. baseball-wise.
0: And a lot of the Orioles players, I just have a good feeling about their names. That being said, they didn't really do anything that's offseason, John.
1: No, they did not. And I think that ultimately is what holds Baltimore back because yeah. you're right. There's a lot of really good young talent here. Cedric mm-hmm. Mullins, Adley Rutschman, like you said, Gunnar Grayson Henderson. Grayson Rodriguez is going to be in the rotation. Grayson Rodriguez is almost certainly going to be in this rotation. If not from opening day onward, then definitely at some point in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're getting, it looks like they're finally going to start getting some good, decent performance out of guys like Austin Hayes and Kyle Stowers. Mm-hmm. You know, as you mentioned, they've got the number one pick in Jackson Holiday waiting down in the minors. On top of, you know, that farm system also still has yet to turn out. Kobe Mayo, who's who's projected very well. D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, even Hessen Kirstad, who I think the majority of prospect folks had written off because of how bad he'd looked the last couple years, has looked pretty good in spring training so far. But, yeah, there's just not enough current star-level talent on this team right now, especially if, like, guys like Rutschman and Henderson and Rodriguez do struggle at any point i think mm-hmm. you particularly look out in the pitching staff where your top two starters are kyle gibson and cole irvin and that's not they're not bad pitchers mm-hmm. but they are not the guys you want to top a rotation you know but it's those just are, like one
0: of those things where it's like if you're gonna if your organizational ethos is gonna be we don't draft pitchers high we're not gonna get in that business and you're not going to get them in free agency, it's like, well, then Irvin's cannot be it. You have to do more in the trade market if that's how you're going to build your team.
1: I think, and I wonder if part of this is the case, that there is a feeling among the Orioles and among the Orioles player development group in particular of, look, we have turned around our pitching development. We are so Hmm. much better at it right now. We have done a really nice job developing pitchers for the first time in forever. Maybe we don't want to spend that money on long-term deals for starting pitchers right now, you mm-hmm. know, and I know we we talked about how this pitcher market wasn't maybe wasn't the best for Baltimore in regards to, you know, guys like Scherzer and Verlander were not going to come to Baltimore. It didn't really seem like if if Carlos Rodon was interested and given the contract he got, I'm kind of surprised that there weren't more teams in on it. Maybe he was never really interested in Baltimore. Maybe none of the pitchers on the market. We're all that ready i think there was probably room to add someone with a little more upside a guy like an a nate Yavaldi or an andrew mm-hmm. haney kind of what texas was doing and i think texas is in a similar position to baltimore where they're waiting on the youth to kind of carry them forward although obviously the the they made the biggest move in getting jacob Degrom, who i again i don't know that that was something that was ever within the orioles reach but it does seem like they are fundamentally opposed to handing out long-term contracts right now and while i can understand that based on where their roster is and where it's projected to be Again, it just lowers the ceiling for this team currently. I think, too, that what the Orioles did last year was very much, I think, ahead of schedule. And I think the front office and ownership group, and there are two ways to look at it. One is the, uh, you have to take them at their word, is like, hey, this team might have gotten out a little ahead of its skis last year. They might not be actually that good. There are going to be some growing pains. You know, the bulk, the, the talent has only started to come up. The, you know, we're, there's still more coming. Again, we haven't seen Rodriguez yet. Uh, we haven't seen... Uh, I mean, Holiday's not going to be here for at least another couple years, but you never know.
0: He's going to fly up. Based on everything I read, like he is not going to be He's very, prospect. very good. He's yeah, very, he's, like, very 20 good. 20 years old, I think he's going to be in the majors. Yeah,
1: so that that's a, probably not a guy that the Orioles are going to be waiting on all that long. Yeah. The cynical way of looking at it is ownership looked at this and went, hey, we don't have to spend money right now? Okay, mm-hmm. fine. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And I think I, I lean toward the cynical, particularly given the way that this... Ownership dispute between the two sides of the Angeles family has played out I know that they've come to an agreement of some kind or another. I don't really trust it You know, I, I'm worried about Baltimore's ownership and what and whether or not it's willing to make the commitment necessary to take this team from basically the raise but You know not at, but without the track record to something more than that Next year. I think is next off this coming off season. I think is gonna be a really big test because like I said before if you need pitching next offseason, you can find it, you know. Yeah. You're not going to be able to find a good hitter. I'd be curious to see if the Orioles were one of the, were one of the teams that would be interested in a guy like Teoscar hmm. either to fill a corner outfield spot or to take a DH spot depending on on how they feel about their prospects and what they do this season. But yeah, I I, I don't think this Orioles team is good enough to con- definitely not good enough to contend for the division unless a lot mm-hmm. of things go right. And I think they're going to have a hard time in the wild card chase because I ultimately do think pitching-wise when you're relying so much on guys like Gibson and Irvin who don't strike guys out, who are so much more reliant on weak contact and good defense, and the Orioles do have a good defense behind them, so I think that should be good for them, I just there's just not a whole lot of upside left with those guys. And I understand the point of them is, well, they're just here to eat 180 innings at roughly league average uh, production, which is fine, but that also means that unless Rodriguez has a huge breakout, unless Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer and guys like that, Austin Voth, there is another step for them, I don't think you're really seeing anything more than like a 500 team with some genuine upside as we saw last year. But it, it's just so hard to project what young guys are going to do, especially guys who are who have no real major league track record like Rutschman or like Henderson or like Rodriguez to say definitively or with any kind of real uh, confidence. Oh, yeah, we can definitely just this is just definitely what they're going to do, you know it's going to be a little tricky. And I think there are going to be more ups and downs in Baltimore this year than most people are probably assuming. But I think at the end of the day, this is still a playoff contender. I just don't know if it's, I don't think it's a division contender, and I certainly don't think it's a World Series contender as things stand right now.
0: No, Adam Frazier is going to play second base for them, who was really bad last year.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the other thing. It's like when you when your major moves are Cole Irvin and Adam Frazier and Kyle Gibson, you're you're just not aiming to make the ceiling of the team much higher.
0: Another meme for you do something like with the stick poking (laughs) poking Mm -hmm.
1: the Angelus. going come on please do something Mm -hmm. yes i and look i don't know that there was necessarily a better option for the not better option i don't know you know if you could do the offseason all over again i don't necessarily know who you would have plugged in to the orioles at second base like i i don't mean i would have signed carlos
0: correa the twins are gonna do it i would have just signed carlos correa
1: yeah that's the thing like ultimately who cares about positional fit you can just yes. you can just say like no you should just go out and sign a really really good player who's going to be really really good for the same time period as these guys are going to be showing up and i think yep. that's why i end up leaning toward the cynical with this stuff because it's not like every free agent this offseason was 32 years old and older and was asking for like 400 million dollars and granted Korea's right. ankle who knows the, the thought of Korea trying to get through an Orioles physical is really really funny given that, like how constantly the Orioles failed players for physicals for a bit there Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly in the Dan Duquette years or the was it Dan or Jim? I don't even remember anymore. But regardless,
0: there's two different. I'm pretty sure the Auras was Dan Duquette. Yet, I remember there him. was an alliteration with him.
1: Yeah, but either way, uh, but there were guys particularly like Correa who I think you could have you easily said, no, this is a guy who not only fits what the team's doing right now, but also fits long term going forward. I think the only reason you don't do something like that is because you're not you want to leave room, at least the, the non-financial reasons. You want to leave room to see, okay, where is Gunnar Henderson actually going to end up? You know, do we want to? Do we want to? Is Jackson Holiday going to be ready even quicker than we imagine? And do we want to just leave that space for him? But I think ultimately, who cares? You you sign and then you figure that stuff out later. You know, there there's no reason you can't have all of the above. And I think that's the kind of thing that keeps me from from really buying in on the Orioles is that reluctance to add the impact players through free agency or through trades that would take this roster from flirting with 500 to an actual kind of genuine 84-plus win wildcard contender.
0: And I'm always just uneasy about teams that try and control their contention window. I just am always uneasy about that kind of stuff where they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're too ahead of schedule. We're going to cool this just a little bit. And then everyone will be up and, and then and that, we can never, do it. That's not how know. it works.
1: You just never know. And I no. think that's why what what we're talking about Machado and the Padres, I like that idea. It's like, no, we're going to jam this window open as long mm-hmm. as we have it. We know it's here. We know it's open. Let's make sure we get as many bites of the apple as we can yep. for this period of time where Machado is still going to be a four plus four player. Where, where you, Darvish, is still going to be a 180 inning plus guy, you know? that i like that from san diego obviously baltimore is not in that exact same place but i think there was more room for the orioles to do more this off season to get themselves closer to that
0: yeah well there you go um that's it uh, let's do our one through five john All predict right. as we wrap up here what is your one through five prediction and how the nla East unfolds and how many uh, teams make the playoffs
1: i'm gonna be pretty boring and chalk i'm gonna go yankees blue jays rays red sox orioles mm-hmm. uh i think Three teams of that group make the playoffs. I think the top three make it. Okay. I just, I think ultimately both Boston and Baltimore are going to be around 500, and I don't think that's just going to be enough.
0: Mm. I'm going one raise. Okay. Wow. I think.
1: Big belief in the Rays. I just think they're going to. Uh, another back. team where uh, if they'd done more than just Zach Eflin, I would feel a lot better about them.
0: They just deserve the benefit of the doubt. That's the thing. It's like we're going to hate it. Like we're just going to be like the Blue Jays, the the yankees it's the firepower we're excited for this match and it's like the rays are just 100 wins and you're like i don't understand how the rays did this again i don't know why they're hosting playoff games in the trop once again i don't know why this is had this has to be the case but i just it's my gut my gut just says wander franco like if he's the mvp candidate it's right there which Look, is and i, and on I agree the with table. you like
1: i said if if their impact guys are healthy which they mm. by and large were not last year this is going to be a good team yeah i just think ultimately the ceiling for the Yankees and the Blue Jays is a bit higher than it is for the Rays. And I think obviously losing uh, losing Tyler Glass now for at least the next two months, again, not not the way you want to start spring trading if you're
0: the Rays. That's fair. Um, I'll just go, but yeah, I was going to do a Rays one, Yankees two, Blue Jays three. Okay. Red Sox four, Orioles five. Okay. That's what I'm doing. John Taylor, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com before you hit Italy? I was gonna come up with a bit. I was like, "Eh, before you
1: hit Italy, Italy. Ooh, no! Don't listen to that. That was terrible. Italy, Italy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. So, (laughs) as some of you have probably already seen, (laughs) last week we put out our top 100 prospect list for 2023, Mm. led by, uh, since we were just talking about him the young man known as Gunnar Henderson, with Corbin mm. Carroll, James Wood, Yuri Perez, and Andrew Painter, the fast-rising Andrew Painter uh, rounding out the top five. Uh, Jackson Holiday, number nine on this list, by the way, right behind Drew Jones. So a lot of really cool youth coming up uh, through the farm systems across baseball. Definitely check that out if you haven't already. Eric and Eric Longenhagen and Tess Teruskin put a ton of work and scouting into it, as as is the case every year. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, we are still, Eric is still working through his top team, individual team prospect list. We've got the Yankees coming out later this week for all the Yankees fans who want to get super mad about things they don't quite understand, which is to say everything. Uh, J. Jeff, he's going to be rolling through the worst positions left on all the AL and NL teams to see where, which squads still have room to upgrade. So I imagine we'll be talking about the Yankees in left field, uh, the potentially the Blue Jays in the bullpen, you know, et cetera, onward from there. Uh, And then beyond that, coming at some point in the next few weeks uh, will be the return of our positional power rankings, our annual look at each position around the league, and where each team stands ranked against each other. That's always a really fun one. I wrote the center field rankings last year. I got a lot of people yelling at me. Uh, That's what makes it all fun, though. You know, so keep an eye out for that. That is probably going to be out in the next few weeks. And as I've been uh, harping for a bit now, uh, we are in the process of adding some new perks to our membership uh, program so if you have not if you're not a member yet and you're interested in becoming one head on over to Fangrafts. for five dollars a month sixty dollars a year you get ad free browsing plus some cool new stuff coming down the pike so head on over to Fangrafts. we're like one month away from opening day that's it's wild. so close and not only that we're, we're like, and, and this is my own, little, my own little plug, just because I love it so much. The World Baseball Classic is coming up in two weeks. Mm. I'm going to be down in Miami for pool play uh, that's happening there with the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Israel, and Nicaragua. Uh, we're going to have Michael Bauman out in Arizona for Team USA along with Mexico, Canada, Great Britain, and one other team I am forgetting right now. So we, he, Mike and I will be uh, doing a lot of coverage from the WBC pool play. We're going to have WBC stuff going on. I personally love the WBC. I think it's, I, I, it's so much fun. I'm so happy it's back. It was really, really great the last time we they played it all the way back in 2017. At this point, the pre-pandemic world. But keep an eye out for that too. Coming in the middle of March, we're going to get our WBC on. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you're at all interested in WBC stuff and would like to get to know some of the international players, to note. Uh, as part of Prospect Week last week, Eric did a big update of his international rankings on our big board. Go check that out. He'll also notes where uh, or which there's also a post that in notes which teams these players will be on. So guys like I'm and this is something I'm, I'm going to be getting up at stupid hours in the morning to watch Japan to see Roki Sasaki play. Uh, that dude is a sick pitcher. Like, again, Korea, Japan, uh, Cuba, the Netherlands, so many good teams, so many good players. I'm so excited to watch the ludicrous Dominican Republic lineup do its thing. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll be doing WBC coverage as well. Fangraphs, we do all the baseball. All of it. All of it.
0: I haven't seen enough Tennessee coverage since they've been undefeated over the last two weeks.
1: Look, your boy, who's the who's the Tennessee? Chase Dolander? Is that his Chase name? Chase Dolander.
0: Dolander. Yeah he, yeah,
1: he was not in Eric's uh, draft uh, top five rankings.
0: Did he? Is there just a tendency exclusion? Was it Michael Bauman just putting the South Carolina Look, hex we, we on this?
1: I'm not going to put this on Bauman. I, he's a college baseball sicko, but that's not him. Oh no, we have Dollinger number five. Never mind. Okay. We've, but ahead of him, we've got uh, this is our our uh, the, Eric did this for prospect. We really hurt two. my
0: feelings there, John. That just really took me aback. Where I well, you're I thought and how, I were like, on the same page, but apparently I know how not. Happy
1: you're going to be about the four guys in front of him because right now it's Dylan Cruz, LSU's mm-hmm. outfielder. He's project, good. Projected to go number one by Eric. Then TCU third baseman, Braden Taylor, mm. uh, Florida left fielder, Wyatt Langford. What a great baseball. Mm-hmm.
0: Man. He's I was thinking he'd go number two. OK,
1: and uh, f- Indiana high school center fielder, Max Clark, currently committed mm. to Vanderbilt. Ugh. So you got to be rooting for someone to take him high. So Vandy loses out on him.
0: But that's still what you just did there. Number one pitcher, like I said, Chase Delander number and, one.
1: And uh, further down the list, in in keeping with the Tennessee theme, we got Maui Ahuna, another who just f- got cleared. Fantastic. Just got name. cleared
0: first night. He had a hit, uh, RBI on his second at bat, but at yeah, number
1: no. seventeen uh, on our rankings, two spots behind Enrique Bradfield Jr. of Vanderbilt. Uh, I'm just going to keep doing this now. Ahuna there, there's Matata. There's a guy named Hurston Waldrap.
0: Oh, there are all kinds of this some, is s- there are some noble southern Meyer. baseball names. Oh my
1: goodness, Colton Ledbetter. I love this. Yeah. Where's Travis the, Jack Wilson's kid?
0: Wait, where's Jack Wilson's kid? The Grand Canyon uh,
1: Jack Wilson is Jack Wilson's kids are old enough to be in professional baseball or oh, amateur I love baseball.
0: This. Jack Wilson's kid's really good. And Jack Wilson's coaching at Grand Canyon. Do you know I, who the coach uh, of Arizona is right now, John?
1: Someone who's gonna make me feel really old, so do it. Chip Hale. Oh, that's yeah, here's it we got Jacob Wilson, who yes. I guess is Jack Wilson's that's his son, kid yeah. at number six. That... <laughs> Come on, Jack Wilson. That dude was playing like five years ago. This is not that long ago that these guys have been retired.
0: And his son, though, nothing like Jack. His son is cool and like he dances and has like this wow. really just shots fun- fired on, on Jack
1: Wilson. Jack Wilson. Jack had Wilson no pers- is very uncool.
0: Yeah, like he's just not. Do you remember anything interesting about Jack? He just felt he like a, a lunch pail kind of guy. He felt like a lunch pail. Like I'm going to bat 240, play pretty good defense, and never play an important. game. I, I, I will game. say
1: this: this list is SEC is get out. We yes. got LSU, means Florida, more. Tennessee, LSU, Ole Miss, Florida, Vandy, South Carolina, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Mississippi State. Yeah, it's 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 something like this. SEC, and I, and I know uh, this is something else I should recommend that we currently have up on the site. Uh, Michael Bauman again, college baseball sicko that he is, did a two-part thing on LSU, mm-hmm. the number one team in the country, or at least going into the season, I don't know if they still are. They're and, still right there, yeah. And how they've rebuilt themselves in the last couple of years, uh, focusing on on uh, Wes Johnson, the new pitching coach who came over from the Twins, mm-hmm. and Paul Skeens, the ace starter who came over from Air Force, which is the one of the most bizarre transfers I can think of, Air Force to LSU. But definitely go check that out if you're interested in college baseball and the SEC at large. Uh, Bauman is, again, a college baseball sicko of the highest order. Of course, big South Carolina fan. So uh, it's if you're into college baseball, we don't do that much college baseball coverage on, on fan graphs. I think Michael might do some at some point. But, you know, at the very least, we've got Eric doing his draft updates. So, you know, if it just does mean more to you, come track to see if anyone can outpace Dylan Cruz. Uh, on top of this leaderboard
0: let's hope so maui ahuna move up the charts ahuna <laughs> matata john taylor for the rest of my days have a safe trip over there in italy across the pond that's what Thank they you. say
1: that's that is how they say it italy is across the pond
0: mm-hmm. enjoy it that's gonna be lovely eat some good food be I safe think, my friend i'm
1: coming back when you next see me on this thing i'm gonna look <laughs> like brendan Fraser in the whale it's gonna be bad
0: i just want inarticulate italian noises john that's also gonna be
1: i'm just gonna be here doing this mm. i'm gonna be doing the aoc like italian fingers Mm -hmm. game it's it's gonna be great
0: there you go italian and my mother okay that's enough for me all right that's enough john taylor i'll talk to you in two weeks sounds good